Uh, hello, this is Shane, and you're welcome. Very welcome to Heartlines this week. I'm back again with another very special guest. My next guest has had a 23-year career as a professional jockey, has accumulated over 1,000 race wins here in Ireland, and has won races all over the world from Royal Ascot to Curra to Tokyo. It's the one and only Fran Berry. Welcome to the show, Fran. How are you doing? Pleasure, Shane. Thanks for having me on, and uh, good intro. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Now, so... Horse racing is uh, such a such a special place. Horse racing in like the in the hearts of fans and and jockeys alike. So how did you become a jockey? How did you get into becoming a jockey? I know your, your dad was a a champion jumps jockey, but how did you get into horse racing and, and uh, as a jockey in general? Yeah, that's where it all stemmed from. Dad, uh, dad came from County Longford as what a thirteen year old kid to the car and. Uh, I wanted to be a jockey and uh, he had a very, very good career uh, winning, you know, multiple times, multiple times, multiple champion jockey in Ireland over jumps. And uh, when he gave up riding, uh, ironically enough, he had to give up riding through breaking his neck as well, which which was hap- happened to myself. So uh, mm. uh, he went training and I suppose just from a young age, we'd ponies on the go and you know, you fell in love, it fell in and out of love with him. You might ride him for a week, then he'd be off playing sports. I was mad into Gaelic soccer anything that was happening in Kilcullen cross country running but uh just kept coming back to the horses and uh I think from the age of 12 started riding the bigger horses in the gallops and it was just uh then all, all I wanted to do was get a license at 15 that's all that was in my head was that you know if you get to 15 you can get a license to ride in a race and uh that's where that's where kind of just the bug really grew yeah is a 15 in Ireland or across the world you have to get a license so it's just Ireland 15 uh it's it's even done away with that now it's 16 and they, they're talking about even raising it to 17 so when I got my license I was 15 I was in doing my junior cert uh I was still in school Monday to Friday obviously in Kilcoy and riding out in the mornings maybe before school and then uh riding out at the weekends and uh I wrote I wrote my first winner in Navin in May to 1996 and it was the bank holiday Monday the May bank holiday and I was back in school on the on the Tuesday so it was uh, it was a, a bit different then yeah and what did your teacher bring you back to earth when you had to give the homework in or, or was there special exemptions <laughs> given <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone knew a road winner. To be honest with you, a couple of my friends might have, but uh, you know, with internet and everything else, and that age, it's kind of oblivious to everybody. But uh, it's a bit strange when you look back on it, uh, how you could be out competing against uh, Mick Canan and Johnny Murta on on a Monday, and you're back in your school uniform on a Tuesday. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And was was there many like um apprentice jockeys like in your school? Like, uh, not so much in the school, but there's a great interest in the community in Kilcullen and surrounding mm. areas, obviously with the car and uh, in horse racing. And uh, I suppose for me to be riding at 15, I was lucky. My dad was a trainer, and uh, he managed to gather up a couple of horses or friends that. Uh, they didn't really want to put into training. Did mom and dad just took them on for me to ride? When you look back and I know it's an expensive hobby for me to have for them, and uh, you know that's how it came about. And uh, you know when time rolled on into the end of my first year, into sixteen, you got to meet a few guys like Jamie Spencer and Shane Kelly that were coming on the scene through the apprentice school on the Curra. And uh, but yeah, in in Cullen School itself, I was the only only one that was directly involved in horse racing. Yeah. So like I was going to talk about your first big win. So your first win. So when you won a fifteen, I'd say okay, that was great because you were like, oh yeah, I got my first win. But when you turned like you know got into professional ranks you remember your first big win you remember how you felt when you won came home to stretch like i can't uh, i was a bit spoiled with my first winner uh, obviously that came very early in my career i think i had only nine or ten rides and mm. i won and it was almost 
a year to the day when I wrote my next winner. So, uh, you know, that, that was a bit humbling uh, just to go through that. And uh, yeah, things gradually were building up in my second year. But uh, it was funny, I, I've done most of my career as a flat jockey, but riding as a jump jockey got me going. I uh, There was no all-weather racing at Dundalk, so they basically shut down for five months of the year. My weight was a little bit borderline, whether it was going to be light enough to still ride the flat or have to go jumping is quite tall at the time for, for a flat jockey. So I just started riding over hurdles, just wanted to ride. And uh, yeah, that, that got me going. Uh, I ended up riding a couple of good horses along the way. Kerouani would have been the first one. He was trained by Christy Roach on the Curra and uh, I fin- finished second on him in Cheltenham in the Coral Cup, uh, one of the big handicaps. And uh, Never, never sick to be beaten. You know, I think it's the end of the world. But I went to the entry festival, what, three weeks later and got up to win by a neck in a, in a similar race, beating Tony McKay by a neck. And mm-hmm. uh, it was a Friday of entry, ladies day. It used to be the big long walkway back in afterwards. And uh, I just remember being a magical experience. And that was that was the first real big breakout winner. Yeah, yeah, because entry, like, you know, I... I've never been to a flat uh, race meet. I've I've always been to like around like the you know um, the Punchestown races fe- festival. I've been mm. there, and usually around Christmas time we go to like uh, the Leperstown race festival, and they're always coming on jumps. You know, so I've never been to a flat. But then again, Aintree Aintree is like the pinnacle really for the you know, and Aintree and Cheltenham are the kind of pinnacle for the actual uh, jumps. So what was the what was that like when you when you came home? Um, winning on Ladies' Day in Aintree. Oh, it was huge, uh, especially after being beaten in Cheltenham. To go that time, there wasn't a lot of Irish trained winners in England. It's not like it was now where it's a regularity. It was quite rare, especially in handicaps. And uh, to go there and ride a winner, you beat the multiple UK champion as a young kid. And uh, there was plenty of ribbon about that. A lot of uh, uh, Tony McCoy's colleagues were giving him plenty of stick the next day and whatnot. But uh, it was just a surreal feeling, I suppose. It was only when you get home, get to look at the video as it was back then and kind of take it in that, uh, but then, then, you know, you tre- treasure it. There's a couple of great pictures up on my wall uh, on my parents' house of myself, Richard Amody and Tony McKay jumping on the hurls in the race, you know, like you're jumping uh, to, to the legends of the game. You know, it's only now when you look back at them things, it kind of sinks in what, what you've done, you know? Yeah. From the outside looking in, I don't see behind the scenes. So what's it like, you know, what's the camaraderie like in the Wayne room before a big race meet? Like, is there, is there, is there guys who would be always cracking jokes and having the crack or is there guys who are always kind of dialed in and they're very serious and you never really get much kind of crack out of them, you know? Uh, it's, it varies very much. Depends on the individual. I, I kind of grew up, grew up or was rode through the crossover period, maybe going from the Cavalier jump jockeys into the more dedicated, I wouldn't call it dedicated, but the more clean living, clean living uh, era mm. of jump jockeys and fitness and everything else has come on so much in the last 15 years. So when I started, there was still that element of, it was very much a fun, get to the festival, you know, where are we going tonight kind of thing. And, yeah. uh, you know, that, that changed. So you're dealing with them characters back then, then the jump way room to the flat way room, which I, you know mingled between in my early days was a different different setup but it's it's all the different personalities really and everyone has their own way of dealing with say pressure and stress and you know you tend to keep yourself in your own little bubble I used to you know in the last 15 years of riding in Ireland uh, I'd have Pat Smullen in beside me or across from me Declan McDonough Mick Canan, Johnny Murta and you know we knew each other's personalities Kevin Manning, Niall McCullough and we, we'd 
we're, we're our own good little bubble. When you step out or go to a different wear room, maybe it can be different, but we had a good good crew for all that we used to joke in the wear room and go out and try and kill each other on the track, you know, to, <laughs> to, get, a, to get a result. And uh, yeah, I suppose that's the, the thing about it. You know, we used to, you know, if you want to talk about camaraderie, it's a, it's a mad uh, thing when you think about it. We're all self-employed. We're all competing against each other. We're all trying to outdo each other. Yet we go racing, the four of us in the car, uh, for example, Pat Smullen, late Pat Smullen, Kevin Manning, Declan McDonough, myself, and uh, we go into the races, right five or six races, we jump into the car on the way home. And if there was an incident or something, there might be any talk for 10 minutes or 15, we all ring our bosses and whatever else we got to do. And then somebody crack a joke or read something off Twitter and try and wind the other up. So yeah. uh, we, we, we had a good support network, even if we didn't know it at the time to ourselves, you know, as a yeah. uh, Good, good times, but it's a totally unique environment. It's very hard to describe it. And there's been a lot of bad publicity in the UK at the minute. Uh, you know, there's a case ongoing at the minute. And, you know, it's disappointing to see that coming through, which is not for me the norm, but I don't know, different different setups might lead to different incidents too. Mm. And you're saying like, as you said, it's a, it's not like a, a normal office environment because like, how did you maintain the weight? Was there any tips or tricks for keeping your weight Um perfect because you all had to make the weight as you said you're self-employed it's, it's on you to make the weight you know yeah look uh, as i said uh, you know when i went my, my weight stabilized in my late you know early 20s and that i found a routine that worked for me uh, I, every day for me to go racing was lose four pounds probably that was the the average day so that that uh, was through diet and exercise mainly and a bit of sweating as well but uh, i used to just eat two meals a day really that if if that to be eggs in the morning some sort of egg and rice rice cake and coffee a lot of chocolate mm. uh for energy kicks and uh and fish basically yeah so it was a uh, quite a little bit ahead of my time in some respects that uh you know before nutrition became a thing i just worked out a routine that suited me and it's what's kind of been recommended now you know protein i suppose and uh you know it's got things have got better but it's it's all it's all encompassing uh, when you're at it because uh, there's no easy day you know every day you get up by to ride out a uh, have a little bit of food then get a treadmill or go walk the roads for 45 minutes or an hour to try and lose two or three pounds and then and then go racing and ride so it's it's nearly mind over matter on some of them days when you're under pressure but one bit of advice probably for someone dieting at home is easiest thing is don't eat after six o'clock that's what i used to find anyway just uh if you've got to, which is now a, a thing as well isn't it 12 hour fasting and whatnot so yeah yeah i heard um because i was listening to i said talk about twitter your man jack dorsey stepping down as ceo i'm not big into all this but i know that he used to do a diet where he wouldn't eat the whole weekend because imagine that no food for the whole weekend <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't do that you know, you'd want to be fairly determined to do that kind of thing. You know, it's like it's a, lot, a lot of time not eating, especially you want to graze at night. You want to eat at night. You know, everyone, if you watch, sit down and net, watch a, t a TV show, you're hardly going to sit there and not eat anything or have a cup of tea and a biscuit, you know. Exactly. And it's a mood thing as well, isn't it? Like, mm. You know, when things are going well and you've got a motivation to uh, to be focused. But if you've had a bad day and all you want to do is pig out or munch out or whatever, it's that that's the that's where it becomes a little bit of a battle. But it's just about finding your routine that works for you. Anyone can do it for a little while, but to sustain it over a length of time, you've got to find something that that is workable. And, uh, you know, it's trial and earn or find out works what works for your body and works for your routine as well as everything else now what height are you you're not, you're not a six foot tall are you uh no i'm five nine five or oh. sorry I, i've actually was five eight and a half i've lost literally lost an inch through uh back injuries over the years i think so yeah yeah so 
Yeah, injuries could be again on the flats because like what like what's 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 a what's a what's a top speed uh, like a flat horse could go at like forty kilometers an hour or, or so. Yeah, 40, 40 miles an hour. Miles yeah, an hour. Yeah, you know what I mean. Hour, yeah, and, yeah. And so that's fast, you know. And um, when we want to talk about like your retirement, I know you want it's it's a very sore point because you know it was a it was a freak accident. Um, what the when the horse like when you fell off the horse, did the horses lose its stride and and you just kind of went down and then. And flat is it more of a case a horse would fall on top of you more than anything else, or or would you just would you bounce off it? Because like a horse, what's it, what's the height from a horse like seven eight feet high? So it's a fairly yeah. big drop, you know, if you fall off a horse, you know. It, it is, and uh, I suppose the difference with flat and jump racing is um, uh, with the jump racing, you're you're almost get you're pre warned with a fall, whereas on the flat. Uh, because you're ready for a jump basically and uh, what's coming after that but uh, on the flat if a horse goes down there's literally no time to react and uh, when I got my fall in 2019 in Wolverhampton uh, the horse just crossed his legs on the point of a bend he just missed misjudged his, his stride and went straight down but if there was another horse behind me I would have been okay it was the two horses that were coming on the two riders behind had no time to react or get away from my horse and myself so I got a bad kicking off them and that, that was what done the damage but it was a very bad spill and also when you get a fall on the all-weather surfaces the sand if you can picture a ball landing in a ball landing in a green in a bunker in a golf course it's just like that you don't roll just stop dead so that that can that's definitely a factor at play as well and quite quite happy to be here talking about it after walking away from it thankfully you know yeah yeah for sure yeah it is the part of the job in a sense as you said it's a unique environment you're not just walking to an office making weight and then going to a job you're jumping on a horse that's going at 40 miles per hour and as a career ending injury or it could it have you out for weeks and it's your job you know you're freelance as you say you know yeah and that's and that's the thing look if you sat down and thought about the risks you wouldn't do it you know you just yeah. gotta you gotta go but when you are at the start of every every race there's two ambulances there ready to follow you around so that's the reality of it when which you don't think about at the time but mm. when it when the when they when 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 the shit hits the fan, as the fellow says, that's the reality of it. And uh, you know, you gotta you gotta accept it as part of the job, not try to think about it, know the risks obviously in your head and and play minimize them if you can. But that unfortunately is the downside to what people might see at home of their winning jockey going by the line, the pictures, the arm in the air, whatever it is. And mm. uh, the flip side of that, there's probably a guy in an animal's going to get an x-ray or something in, in a big race on old jumps especially and you know it's just two sides of the kind it can be a very cruel sport at times because you know injury there's no rules with it it can happen at any time you can get a run of it uh you know i, I had one injury one year where i broke my ankle in japan i dislocated it and 10 months later i i got a fall in clomel and broke the other ankle and broke my elbow and ribs and whatnot so you know there's just no rules or rhyme or reason with him but you just got to take it as it comes and i suppose the rehab is the hardest part yeah that's what i was thinking like i mean because if you're off you're like you'd be doing that say like i know you got the injury and that was you know it was hard to take and you have to accept you know and you've moved into pastors new and you're, you're doing very well in the media world and we'll talk about that later on but i want to talk about like you got an injury so an ankle injury and you can't you know get up on a horse so what was it like when you got your ankle injury? What was it? Were you just uh, annoying your family at home, or, or was it? <laughs> were you trying to find some sort of uh, release? And and what was that release that kind of uh, made you kind of, you know, get back in the frame of mind, get back on the in the saddle again? You know, I I, I think I think the first thing you do with any injury, I've for a flat jockey, actually a lot lot of injuries over the years in comparison to the norm, I suppose, and they. Uh, 
first thing you got to do is just get home. You know, get out of hospital, get the operation done. Uh, hopefully the pain wears off relatively quickly. And uh, then it's you got to find a routine. You, you definitely have to find a routine because there's long days. Mm. The phone isn't ringing as much. You're out of, you know, you're out kilter with the whole, with your whole life really because all you're used to is getting in the car and going racing. People ringing you about horses that are running that day. And that's all cut off from you. So I was lucky. I've been married for... 17, 18 years and Laura, Laura, my wife knows the ups and downs of it. So she, she probably had to put up with a lot of me, but I had a good physio nace, Mary O'Connor. She'd get me into routine, uh, rehab up in Santry clinic if needs be. And uh, was, that's very important just to find something that from Monday to Friday that can get you out of bed and get you moving because it can be a very lonely time. And if you're, if you're um, cocooned away, which is probably the wrong word at the minute, but if you're hidden away and nobody's in contact with you, you know, that's when, you know, your thoughts and everything else can get up on you because it, it is, uh, you know, you're you're constantly thinking, you know, there's horses going around that you should have been riding, you're missing them and you're not going to get back on them because the next guy is in there now, he's got to ride on them. You know, your trainers move on, owners move on and you're quickly, quickly forgotten about. So you're hoping that you're, core base of supporters are there when you get back so you got to keep in contact with them you got to show an interest in what's happening and i think it's a combination of everything and maybe a few nights out go out and go out and razz with your with your friends and whatnot you know that that kind of thing you know just uh just to take your mind off it and uh you know i'm lucky of good good friends like that that make sure you're getting out for for night night out or whatever whatever it may be you know whether it's going to go on go like i've done things when i was injured that i never used to do go to rugby match go to whatever you know just something different people to ring you which is kind now i'm sure you made many friends in you know racing over the years but you must have friends that are outside the racing circle because that might help your your headspace because imagine you have an injury and they're talking about the races if you have friends who are like you know a doctor or a nurse or whatever well, of course you don't mm-hmm. hear the heavy stuff what they want to talk about but at least they'll bring you away from the the kind of frame of mind do you have friends like that who are just totally outside of the racing circle i do and uh very important to have because say uh, you can get in, get in your own little bubble there you know race could be the be all and end all and uh you know i don't i don't want to harp on about injuries and that because i had a very good career but back in um 2005 I had a very bad fall at the Curra and then I ended up in the spinal unit in the Matter Hospital where I needed uh, quite severe surgery on my neck and uh, you know I was, all I was worried about in there you know I was in there for two weeks was uh, could I ride again and then you know I don't think I spoke for two days after the operation and then there was five guys in the bed beside me I didn't notice of looking at the ceiling I couldn't see them but I, I could hear doctors telling their family over the bed that you won't walk again. You're, you know, this man is paralyzed. So then you're set up in the bed and you get talking to these lads and you realize you're, you're walking out of there. <laughs> you're walking out of there. These guys aren't. And yeah. I think that was an eye opener initially as a young man at 23, just that the racing is not the be all because I used to take things very much to heart and bring it home with you if you like. And maybe not talk for two days if you got beaten on one and uh, you need a bit of perspective. So yeah, getting outside the racing bubble, having people that have normal, and I say normal lives, not the up and down world of racing because it's good. It's good just to get a sense of reality and uh, bring you back down to earth and don't forget that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a life outside of racing, even though racing is life, as you say, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's just good to, good to see what's happening in the real world, if you like, because it is a bubble. Mm, Yeah, I'd say so. Now, again, so we're talking about, like, we're talking about, like, your best friends and stuff like that. But, like, um, you know, unique environment, making weight, 
you know, tips and tricks. So how do you like, uh, how do you replace the trails? So, or how do you, do you do any extreme things like extreme hobbies <laughs> outside of horse rides? Cause you, uh, you are coming from a, you are, you are leaving like, uh, when you retired, you, you are leaving, you know, a fast paced world, you know, uh, out of uh, flat racing. So do you do like skydiving or, or bungee jumping or any that kind of thing? Um, I wouldn't mind, but uh, with, with my neck, with my neck and the injury and everything, I have to be quite careful. So I've, I've, I've started playing golf. If that's an, mm. if that's an extreme sport, it's yeah, a bit okay. of a head wreck. It's a bit of a head wrecking sport anyway. But I uh, know, I know. Uh, but uh, golf and uh, yeah, it's a different different pace of life in some respects. Since stopping riding, what it's three three years in next April, two and a half years now. So. Mm. Obviously, between lockdowns and that, it's been a bit different also. But uh, I've got, still got a bit of gym equipment. I try and do a bit of that and try and keep some way mobile and fit. And uh, But golf, golf now and kids is kind of like where, where it's at, yeah. I wonder, does like, say, for example, like, as you said, you know, you are your own boss in a sense, but you have other bosses, like, like other owners and trainers and stuff like that you work with. I wonder, do they have you sign waivers to say you can't do this skydiving now? You know, because you like, because you are there, there, you are, you are the main man. Do they have? Do they tell you not to do these things, or is it just up to your own kind of decision whether you do these extreme things outside of your job? Yeah, well, I, I know jockeys that have had contracts where it has been specified that you know couldn't go skiing or whatever, whatever it yeah. may be. Uh, I was always always pretty sensible that I, I didn't bother with skiing or anything because I couldn't t- deal with the thoughts of doing my leg or something I'm yeah. missing rides you know so that was always my viewpoint some lads carry on and do it and go hunting you know out on the horses and whatnot mm. so uh, no I was quite good like that uh, just uh, maybe too sensible at times <laughs> now let's get back to golf I play golf but not very well what's your handicap from uh, 25.8 I got recently yes so that on the on the world handicap index is it or whatever it's called yeah Oh, well, I think, well, maybe I can't, I don't know. I don't have a real handicap. I don't, I'm not in a real course. I play with, I would play as, with a society, my brothers and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, they give me a, they give me a 28, but I'm a banger. Like I was 31 at one stage. Uh, no, I think it got me. Yeah. I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to arrange a game to find out who, who, who is well handicapped. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely <laughs> give you a shot there. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, no, definitely. No, but, um, I was saying that, um, yeah, if I if I break 110, I'm happy. You know what I mean? Like it's it is it's 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 a good release. But when you're not playing well, you you, you feel like you should be playing like Tiger Woods or McIlroy or something or Larry, just back, like like hitting it, like sparking it out and hitting like lovely shots at the pin. And you're not you're not that. You haven't got that consistency in your game. And it's just it's a it's a good walk. That's what it is. And and again, if, if I think best round of golf for me is when I'm playing with good people. You know, people mm. I, I enjoy, I have a chat and it's, it takes your mind away from the game and you just have a laugh, you know? Exactly. I, I agree. And uh, even during the summer, we, we used to get out quite a bit, just playing nine holes after school runs and whatnot. And, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, just three lads, just three or four lads just chatting away and the golf's kind of incidental, isn't it? And uh, yeah. good, good good way of catching up with everybody, but a good release from being on the phone constantly. In my new job, you do a lot of horse form, horse videos, mm. uh, gets you out of that too. And uh, it's a really enjoyable if frustrating pastime now now i heard you moved to the uk you live in the uk now you're back home in ireland uh, i'm back home in ireland right when we moved um i moved to the uk in 2016 uh, we were there for three years until i got injured i it was just something i wanted to do give it a go yeah, yeah, kind of kind of done what i could do in ireland up to a point and hmm. uh, it was it was a good fit with this with the ages of our son at the time jordan as regards school and that so yeah after the after the injury 
it was always to plan to come home. So we've been back in Ireland a little over two years now. Okay. So would you, do you share your time from the UK and Ireland? Cause you work with racing TV. Are they based here or over in the UK? Uh, they're based in UK in London and Ealing. I was actually there last weekend. It was the mm. first time since pre-lockdown I've been over like two years ago, but uh, just so much racing in Ireland now that um, uh, I'd be based mainly in Ireland. I do go over to the UK for some of the better meetings. I was at York in August, which would be a big, big favorite meeting of mine. And uh, it, it can vary, but the schedule in Ireland is quite busy. So that's kind of the main focus at, the point, at this moment in time. Yeah. Now, when you were, when you were, um, when you kind of, you transitioned to flats, like, is there a big difference in like your preparation, you know, for like, you know, for flats versus like jumps, jump as a jump jockey? Uh, I suppose your, your routine as regards weight, first of all, you know, that's it. The weights are lighter. That's the first priority. And, uh, it's a obviously more a different style of race and obviously with the starting stalls it's a different art of race riding if you like and at the time it was probably harder to break into because there was more less less top stables if that makes sense you know but i was lucky to get a job with john ox's second jockey so that put, got me into riding the better horses and i suppose like anything once the more you do it the easier it becomes if the opportunities are there and i suppose you got to be good enough to take them at the end of the day then because yeah, you were second to mick and Anne, and mick and Anne, i'm sure you learned a lot from mick watching him you know as being, being second jockey oh very much so look mick Anne was was and is the benchmark as regards Irish riders over the last whatever 30 years and uh, you know I got to spend six, five or six years riding under him got to learn off him we're good friends and uh, he's done he'd done it all at that point and uh, he, I wouldn't say he was on the seniors tour because he was still riding as well as ever but he was more open to letting letting somebody in and teaching more maybe than he would have been 10 years ago and he was a good man for advice and uh, his contact book was huge and uh, yeah. you know it was it's it, the thing about racing i suppose same about life you're constantly learning and if you stop learning you're 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 beat anyway so having the likes of mick around you going racing with kevin manning pat smullen declan mcdonough you're always picking up these things and uh you know that's that's one thing i think i take from anybody or advice to anybody as regards work or life is you can't stop going not looking forward and keep keep going forward yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. You're always learning. I, I, like you can be humbled anytime. You know, what I mean? you can you can come off a big win and you've won many in your career, and then, and then you come back to it. Maybe a not a you know you're on, on a maybe a, a windy Wednesday in like you know let's say Lingfield or something like that, and then you realize you know this is this is my my job. You know, the big races are the ones I want to be attending and winning, but these are, this this kind of humbles me. You know. It does, and uh, every day is different, and uh, it, it doesn't belong about bringing you back down to hurt. And you know, if you think you've got the game made, you're actually stopped improving. And as a rider, you're 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 going backwards. Then the rest of them are going to pass you out. So you got to be striving to just be better every day if you can. Yeah, that's true. Now I was going to ask you, okay, because I I, I kind of went ahead a little bit, but like I was asking, like you know, before a race meet. Would you have any super superstitions like before you re, uh, re, reach the track or when you're actually, you know, preparing mentally to, you know, get uh, on your horse and, and do your job, you know? I had a couple, but not nothing out, out of the ordinary, but uh, I, had a, I had a penchant for quite uh, quite bright colored goggles, as in, you know, they'd have an orange orange band or a blue band or whatever. And uh, if, it, if it had a good ride on a big day, I'd always make sure the new set of goggles for that ride, just to, I don't know what it was, just uh, used to think it'd bring me luck. Didn't really work all the time, but in my own head, <laughs> in my own head, it was a good start. So think things like that. And yeah, uh, yeah that was that was definitely one I'd, a big collection of goggles because 
every week was a big race. So I was pulling out a new pair every, <laughs> every day, but every day, but that was definitely one. Yeah. And when you're traveling, like you said, like you, you jump in a car and go to like race meets around Ireland or whatnot, or around the UK, what are, what are, are essentials you needed for yourself just to, you know, to have when you were traveling? Was there any things that you like, if, if Fran didn't have this, Fran was not going to be a happy boy. <laughs> oh, like anyone now, it's the nice cancelling headphones anyway, when you're traveling over and back on a plane to England and, uh, uh, look, your riding gear is pretty standard. You just bring what you have to. With the flat racing gear, if you're flying, you fit everything into a, a carry-on bag. You know, it's quite mm. light, quite small. Uh, but yeah, the iPad, headphones, and the racing post would definitely be the three three essentials if you could bring them with you. And the runners, uh, you'd have to bring runners because you had to go walk the track and lose a bit of weight and get a feel for the place if you're stepping into, you know, a track that you're visiting only for the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're just there for a day. So like you only have like a very short time to figure out like what the track's like, whether it's running soft or hard or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Look, if uh, when it's based in Ireland or vice versa, based in England and you go to France or whatever, you you fly in that morning. Hopefully the flight's not late and you get to the track. And even if you've ridden there before, it's always just nice to go back and re-familiarize yourself, uh, get a look at a, what's happening with the track, where the best ground is. And then fitness wise, just have a blow. Maybe you've got to lose a pound of weight. Hopefully not, but it's a, it, it kind of serves both purposes and gets you out of the way room because uh, there's nothing as bad as when you went to some of the good meetings. You'd be there very early with the early flight. You want to get in and beat the traffic, but then you might have four hours to wait till you ride and all you've got in your is is tossing your own head down. So to get out and take your mind off it, it's always a good thing. Now, also as well, like, you know, whether it's a big race meet or a small race meet, would you hear like the the fans kind of streaming in and would you would you feel the energy like and you would you feel like any kind of I know you feel the pressure of of winning or, or succeeding, but would you feel the pressure of the fans because you know they have a few bob on you? Maybe you're you maybe you're running on a favourite. Would you feel that pressure of the fans to kind of make them a few bob and make them like walk away from the track going, I like Fran. He's he's a good job. <laughs> Uh, no, look, there's days when, when there's different kinds of pressure, but the buzz of a big day is hard to beat. You know, if you go to the Curran Derby day when, you know, when normal crowds are there and it's, it, there's a real buzz about the place and uh, Royal Ascot, York, uh, I was lucky enough to ride in Japan a lot and the people camp out overnight to get in there on a big day, you know, and a uh, hundred thousand people could be there on, on, a, on a Sunday and um you know, that, that kind of a buzz is brilliant because that really, you know, gives you that, I want to win here just to get that buzz yeah. that you get back off the crowd, you know. And uh, as regards, you know, you just hope you have a good day that things don't go wrong, I suppose, on them big days. And it's very important just to make them days count when you're riding for people. They're the, they're the days that can make, make or break a job for you. So, you know, if you can get a good result, it, that's where the pressure comes from. And, you know, politics with connections and owners maybe you've had a bad week with them then your the pressure's on to get a result today that all comes into play yeah yeah for sure now again like um i was asking uh you know so did you have any like did you set yourself any goals on a yearly basis so or would you just as you say focus on whatever job was hand so whatever trainer or owner you're working for we just focus on that or would you set yourself goals of you know achieving certain goals per month per half year per year just to beat last year's score that was always just a tally no matter where it was whether it's england ireland japan whatever I, I was the previous year i just wanted to beat that and if you're beating that you're going forward and it won't it won't always happen like in injury uh bad run of things they all get in the way maybe a great run the year before but if you can do that mindset that you know some guys set out oh, i want to win a group one this year that's 
you know, that it might happen, you know, and you can think that way and you hope that way. That's the thing that keeps you motivated out riding out in the mornings or out walking when you're trying to lose weight. But uh, that was just my simplest way of looking things was just to beat beat last year's score. You're back to zero the first of January, so you gotta gotta get going again. Yeah, no, it's a, yeah. So you just you just want to keep like keep improving so every year improve mm. on the last one yeah, yeah that's your that's your barometer and then and then you're comparing yourself to your colleagues and you know he's having a good run i need to you know drop down to fifth in the table i need a good week here just to get back up you know that's only human yeah no totally yeah yeah at least you're, you're, you're trying to try to be a better person every day and again injuries as you say will curtail that a little bit and exactly and that's the thing about the, the job of race riding it's so unpredictable that uh you got to enjoy the good days and you know just be focused on it and make the most of it when it when things are going well now what's one thing okay i know it's been a couple of years since you've ridden professionally and with that pressure on you but what's one thing you miss most about being like on in the saddle on, uh, as a jockey um Oh, I obviously missed the buzz of a winner, uh, but it's it's funny. Um, kind of when I when race riding was done, I was done with race riding. If that makes sense, it, it hasn't really cost me a thought when I go racing, saying I love to be out there. But on the flip side of that, I'm going racing, doing a job, and really enjoying that. I get a kick out of now. You know, I actually generally get a good kick out of doing the new media work and that end of it. So I'm not pining for something that it's kind of in the past to me, like I have really good memories of it, but I'm kind of person that once something's done, I'm looking forward and not looking back. I'm lucky that I'm in a position to be able to look forward with an involvement still, still in the game. A lot of ex riders when they finish riding, don't have something that keeps them in the game. And that's, that's where, you know, I, if it's in that position, looking to get back into it or finding something that, you know, you're excluded from the game. You feel like you're excluded because you're not involved day to day. That that could be different, but I'm still going racing every day, meeting the same people and doing something I'm enjoying. So that that's that's made it easy. I don't really miss the day-to-day stuff. I don't, uh, it's actually when you stop, you, you just realize how all-encompassing it is to be riding and uh, how committed you are and how much time it does take up, especially now that kids are getting to a certain stage of their life. When you were a jockey, We'll rotate about around your whole career, so you have to like mm. again have your family time. You have to kind of make sure it's all structured, you know, in a certain way. So I'd say that was kind of like it was. You're very like focused on that. So I'm sure your family have to be understanding the fact that you are, you know, doing a job, and your job is very different from a normal day job, as you said. It, it is, and look, I have colleagues who have missed a. Uh kids communions kids birthdays you know it's, it's just part of the job because you, you can't say no if it's middle of the season and they uh, you know the car is on with a group group on on that day or group three and uh, that's uh, you know it, that kind of commitment you don't realize it when you're in it because you just love what you're doing but when it's only when you step away from it you go lord it does really take over everything uh, you know if i want to go take a weekend off which you might have to because you're suspended then you put on seven or eight pounds when you get up in the Monday morning, you know, it, it's it, everything's linked into race riding when you're doing it. And, uh, it, you know, it, it does factor into everything you do in your life at that time. And when you were like, when you were, when you were, you know, in your prime um, as a jockey, were you, did you have an eye on maybe, you know, looking at, you know, these guys on racing TV or, you know, were you thinking maybe I'd like to go into step into media down on the line or had you made any plans of going into media or were you just kind of focus on a, a day to day? You know, as uh, as on as as a flat jockey, uh, no plans at all. I actually thought uh, I'd ride till I'm fifty. You know, like a lot of a lot of flat jockeys nowadays are getting you know, riding. Depend on their opportunities, but they're all riding till their late forties, early fifties. 
Uh, Frankie Dettori, what is 52? Kevin Manning is the same, and they're both, you know, near enough top of their game, if you like, and uh, they are at the top of the game. And uh, that was kind of my my head, and mm. uh, obviously the injury, but unknown to me, by moving to the UK in 2016, I started doing, I, I was sponsored by Skybet, and I uh, was doing regular blogs for the sporting life. So through that work, I met a good few contacts. And uh, when I got the injury, um, I uh, just said to them, this is what, you know, career is over, going to announce it in a month's time. Would there be anything going for me here? And obviously created an impression with them. And uh, luckily enough, time, and, time is everything in life. Uh, racing TV had only gotten the rights for Irish race. And literally, uh, I got my fall on the third week in January uh, 2019 mm. and Racing TV had only three weeks into getting the Irish rights and uh, they had the first Friday club and which I do every Friday now with Kevin Ryan but uh, I went to the studio for Dundalk and uh, that was literally two weeks before I got my career ending fall and uh, through being on that show I was, I, was, I made an approach through um, the guys at Sport Life and Skybet just to see would Racing TV be interested in give me a go. And uh, that, that was positive. But that opportunity only came about by doing the show two weeks beforehand, perhaps, who knows. But it's funny how things fell, fell into place. It wasn't planned. Thankfully, I must have made a good impression with a few people along the way to get the opportunity to give it a go once the riding was finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no big plan, but just... Uh, funnier things can fall into place but that only happened really through moving to the uk you know these these opportunities arose uh, generally it's just a uh, i just uh, go to tracks in ireland you know wherever the racing is we we have a team of four or five presenters here so we all get a road and uh, you know depending where you are uh, at the winter time season for december for example i'm in dundalk a lot on a wednesday and friday and I'm down to Limerick for four days over the Christmas. So I'll just travel up and down. It's not too far post uh, Christmas Day and all that. Uh, so that's the day-to-day routine with racing TV. It might be called over like it was last weekend to the studio for the weekend, but that, that wouldn't be a regular thing now as as, as much as it used to. And uh, on top of that, it ties in a lot with this work I do for Sporting Life. I do a lot of columns for them. Uh, Dave Willie Mullins is one of the main ambassadors, so I tend I talk to him most Fridays and uh, do you know whether it's a podcast or whatever they want. So between racing TV and sporting life, it's, it, it it intertwines very well, and uh, you know. But generally, going racing is the big part today, and I'm still going racing, meeting the people you've met for the last what 20, 25 years or whatever. So you're still in the routine of of that, which is I think very important for me. Yeah, I think as well as a as a racing TV presenter now, I like some of these guys, yeah, some of these guys are former professionals, but some of our guys are media guys. So it's, it's good to have that perspective as a former, a former professional. You can kind of give your professional opinion and that's kind of, you know, good for yourself as well to keep you in the game, but also keep you focused and kind of like, you know, you can give your advice or your thoughts and you know, tips and tricks. And again, as a punter, you can say, oh, this horse or this horse, is that what you kind of do? You're always kind of making sure like, you know, you give a kind of a balanced opinion, or you, or do you, do you find yourself becoming biased to some horses more than any other horses? Hey, look, you, you try not, you know, you're yeah. trying to be object, objective about everything. And uh, obviously, there's a couple of things that when I start doing the job, you're commenting on the performance of your friends and former colleagues, yeah. you know. And uh, I got a bit of advice from a good friend of mine, Christy Roach, who used to ride for, he rang me and said, Listen, you're doing your job now. This is your job. Yeah. You can't worry about friendships if it's fair. 
and unbiased, uh, you know, opinion, you know, you know, you got to call it as it is, as he said, because if you're trying to protect your friends, you're going to just look like, you know, people see, see it for what it is at home. So that was very important to get that up and running with that initially. That, but, you know, once it's objective criticism or whatever, and, uh, you know, so that was one learning curve of the job. And obviously I started the first year, I was just a pundit, you know, going, going on with a presenter and which is very enjoyable and allows you time to find your feet. Yeah. And uh, two years ago, Racing TV said, you know, we'd like to do one or two days on your own to see how you go. And it, that was ultra daunting because you go from a pundit to a presenter, then, you know, and you've got to cover all the bases in some respects. And uh, that's been a big learning curve. So I'm all, almost doing my apprenticeship again, learning a new art. And mm. uh, that, that's been the biggest challenge in the last, since pre-COVID, just around COVID time. And very, very enjoyable. But, you know, initially it was quite daunting. And I suppose, you know, every time I go home, I look at my replays to see where I can improve. Not much different to what I've done race riding, actually. So yeah, yeah. it's it's funny how it's developed into that, yeah. Filming today? Is there anything special going on? Is it? Is it Just just a bit of pre-Christmas filming. And, uh, you know, nice. uh, Town Christmas filming is coming up. And uh, yeah. done a good feature last week with uh, Davy Russell. We've done the HRI Ride of the Year Awards. And we had to nominate three flat rides and three jump rides. And we filmed that in a cinema. I think it's out there on Twitter at the moment under Horse Racing Ireland. And uh, that's one thing I've been lucky uh, between uh, race and TV, sport and life, HRI, it's puts you into so many different aspects of the industry to go and cover and meet people. And, uh, you know, not just going meeting trainers in yards, you're meeting staff, you're meeting, you know, various, you know, interesting people. So it's been, you know, plenty of variety with it, which is, you know, nice because no two days are the same. Yeah, you're seeing people like who are like used to being in front of the camera and you're seeing behind the scenes, the guys who do all the work that people don't see, you know, like, the, as you say, the people the behind the scenes, like the, the other, other kind of staff that are involved in the whole setup, you know? Exactly. And it's good to bring, you know, the, I done the Godolphin Stud and Stable Staff Awards this year, which is really down to the, uh, bare, the bare roots of the industry and uh, to get out on the road and meet people that in stud farms and that and, you know, show, try and show people what goes on behind the scenes. And I think that's very important uh, in race that people, you know, they see the big winners at Christmas and whatnot, and it's all glitz and glamour, which is the way it should be. But how much work actually goes into getting there for the people involved and, uh, you know, how there's some more bad days than good days. And, you know, that's very important to get that point across too. I think that, you know, there's a lot of genuine hardworking people that do in a game that they love to do. And I think that message should always be put forward. No, definitely. Now, I'm just going to ask one more question. I just, I just was thinking... I was going to ask, I was going to, will he ask this question? I will. Okay. <laughs> so here's the question. Okay. So can you say, can you say, can you give me like your favorite horse you've ever, you've ever, ever ridden? Whether it's your favorite horse because you just enjoyed the ride or what, well, it doesn't have to be the most successful horse, just the most, your favorite horse you've ever ridden. Oh, it's very easy. Um, horse called Osterhazy, which in German, I believe is, uh, means, or English, should I say, means the Easter bunny, uh, from what I can, <laughs> okay, can yeah. recall. And, uh, he, he was a horse that uh, carried my career probably for three or four years in Ireland. Um, just got a chance riding him one day. Mick Canan actually used to ride him for John Mulhern. He was a real character of a trainer in the Curra. And Mick had to ride for John Ox. I got to ride and I r ran really well on him. And the owners decided they wanted me to stay on him because I could commit to ride him. And uh, he went from being a handicapper to the best sprinter in Ireland. And, uh, you know, three years on a row, on a row whenever it was 
having a quiet run. He's to pitch up and win a big race to curve for me and get your name back up there. But was, that's one thing that was, you know, giving you the winners. But it was such a thrill to ride him. He used to break the track record in the Curra over the sprinting distances. And I've never ridden anything so quick out of gates and the race be over at halfway in a sprint. And uh, it was just a magical time with uh, particularly the people involved. John Mulhernitz is assistant trainer, Stephen McCarthy, both whom have since passed away, unfortunately, the owners. And we had a trip to Hong Kong out of him. Uh, he ran out there with a great week, plenty, plenty of fun. And, uh, you know, but as I said, when I needed him, uh, to come up with the, with the goods and get get me a winner to get my name back up there, he did. And even at the age of ten, he was still running and and winning. So I think I won nine times on him all at a high level, and he broke the track record on on Derby Day to car under a huge crowd, twenty eight degrees, whatever you know. It's just one of them magical days. But he he was just a bit different. He was a freak. He wasn't bred to be a sprinter as such, or as, to be as good as he was. He just had it in spades and uh, a challenge to ride, but quite thrilling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Easter Bunny or what? Oster House is it? Oster House? Oster Hazzy, yes. Oster Hazzy, okay. Oster Hazzy, yeah, yeah. Now, what is like, I want to, one more thing. I want to, like, you talked about you raced, like, as far as Tokyo and Japan and also Hong Kong. You were saying like you know they they camp out they're very fanatical but are they are they as like vocal as like the the Irish and UK kind of uh, ho- uh, horse racing fans like when you were on the, on the track like yeah it, it, two different cultures I suppose Hong Kong I, I didn't ride there as extensively as Japan but uh, yeah. the local Hong Kong punters are very much betting orientated and you know if you get beat they let you know and you know if you ride a winner of course they will let you know that it's that kind of high intensity whereas in 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 japan the japan cup was only on this weekend actually just last sunday it was only ran and they're very much like uh, fans of horses and fans of jockeys the betting is there it's a huge turnover but uh, they go to see the horse they go to see the jockey they they have their fan picks of you know an individual trainer stable and it's got a huge following as in it's almost like premiership football in the UK people pick their colors to pick their team and they follow them to the end and uh, you know the horse that won the Japan Cup on Sunday Contrail it was a very special horse but he had a retirement ceremony after the race and he was prayed around it was dark all the crowd stayed around to clap him and say goodbye to him because he was going to stud and uh, it's that kind of a culture it's real real um it's very hard to describe it it's just so different anywhere else that they it's a fan love of the horse love of racing culture and the betting comes with that but it's very much horse first and the thrill of racing with it along with that yeah that's no, it's interesting now fran you've been great thanks 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 for coming on for the old chat um I might take him on that on that golf uh, golf offer if, you, if that was a real offer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, give me give me the winter to get a bit of practice in now. I, I got I got a lesson there the other day and it's not good. So. No. <laughs> Deadly, yeah, yeah, and, uh, perfect. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, best of luck with you all with all, all your endeavors and uh, good luck with the recording today. No and, problem, uh, pleasure. Thanks, thanks pleasure. for coming on the show. Cheers, yeah. man. Pleasure. Thank you. I'll talk yeah, to you. Not, enjoy your day. See you. Bye. Bye. You. Take, see you. Take it easy. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye. See you. Bye. And that was Farnberry, former professional jockey. And so, man, indeed, like he talked about his whole career, he was very honest, and he was talking about his like his injuries had over his career, his highs and lows, and everything in, in between. And now he's moving into the media side of things, and he's you know he's he's learning every day, and he's he's enjoying what he's doing, and uh, I appreciate his time, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was I loved love love pushing the envelope and, and trying to speak to guys who you know I'm learning about as well because I'm. I'm a horse racing fan in, in some regards as in I would have went to some of the races back in the day but I wouldn't 
understand the game as well as someone who's been in it, who's been in the game and seen it all and done it all and, and done been through all the you know peaks and troughs of a life of a jockey and once again my name is shane this is a podcast called heartlines if you like this episode please like share comment and uh you know share with a friend it's all another person's story like friends and all the other episodes i had before this episode 56 yes episode 56 i'm flying in remember you're always welcome here in heartlines take it easy and bye bye